I'm Jeff Cohen. Mindy Rubenstein is quite the prolific writer. She has published hundreds of articles and printed online, including Chabad.org, H.com, Atlanta Jewish Times, and the Jerusalem Post. She's also the founding publisher and editor of Nishe Ora, a magazine that includes personal art and writing from Jewish women around the world. Today she joins us on the podcast to talk about her personal and professional journey, including her desire to move to Israel. Let's find out if it happened. Mindy, welcome to Saturday to Shabbos. Hi, Jeff. Thank you so much for having me. So before we get to the present, we always like to get to know our people a little bit personally before we get into some of the work that they do. So give our listeners a sense of where you were born and raised. Okay, sure. So I grew up in a small town in Florida, on the west coast of Florida. It's called Seminole. So not a lot of people have heard of it, but it's near Tampa. And it was a very uh, kind of idyllic upbringing. We were near the beach, very beautiful in the suburbs, not a lot of Yiddishkeit. Everybody was uh, either intermarried or um, headed down that path. Okay, so that's your starting point. So you were in like in public school? I went to public school and my upbringing was very secluded in this small little town. So what were some of the Jewish things your family was doing growing up? Like what were the traditions or holidays that were part of your family? We did Hanukkah. We lit the menorah. Uh, I went to Reform Temple for uh, like Hebrew school and Sunday school and we had seders, and my parents made sure that I had a bat mitzvah. It was very beautiful, and uh, that was important to them. And we went to high holiday services. You know, each year, sat in the back, kind of came late and left early. But I, it was very moving for me anyway, nonetheless. And uh, something was already sort of starting to stir within me at that point. Did you have any sense at that age, like you were just saying something was stirring in you, but did you know about Orthodox Judaism or that there were levels to Judaism, conservative, reformed, etc.? I really didn't. So I'm 45 years old and this was, it's hard to believe, but before the internet, my kids like find it hard to believe that I grew up without the internet, without a cell phone. Um, so I didn't know that there was anything outside of what we did, really. Uh, I knew of like reform Judaism, conservative, like the, the idea of this, we had the different types of synagogues there. Uh, so it wasn't until later that I realized, I, I, knew, I knew I wanted something more authentic, something more spiritual. I just didn't know what it was yet. So I actually was searching sort of outside of Judaism a little bit, like a lot of people do, um, you know, some of the Eastern religions, some of the things that seem a little bit more mystical and more spiritual. So that was like sort of the beginning of my searching. I know that later in the interview, we're going to get to how so much of your writing has to do with Jewish topics. So... What was that spark early on? Like, did you feel something you think that would give you a sense that that might ultimately become something you do later on? Like, I'm asking in terms of when you talk to, say, a performer who knew at an early age that this was their passion, it was going to somehow become part of a career. Did you have any of that sense as a child? I always liked writing. So I knew writing was probably going to... I, I wasn't really thinking about a career. I just knew I loved to write and it was very therapeutic for me. I would... I actually had a little bit of a difficult upbringing uh, in some ways. So for me, like sitting in my room and writing was a way to just sort of help me feel better, I guess. But I also learned to pray. So we had from actually the Reform Prayer Book, it was in English and it was actually very poetic. And I understood the idea of God from that. And I would pray to God when I was up. And then as a, as a teenager, like many teenage girls have ups and downs and I started like building my relationship with God at that point and realizing like I didn't really fully understand that I was actually being heard and that it was working until later. 
So that was the start of my spiritual journey, I think. But once I started writing for the St. Petersburg Times, I was doing a Faith in Motion column for them. So I was writing about other people's religious journeys, not necessarily Judaism. I wrote about, you know, all different religions. And uh, it was while I was working there that I discovered Chabad and started to explore my own. I mean, that's a whole story in itself. But that's when I started to really explore and start doing some more digging. The fact that you were already having this conversation with Hashem, you were almost ahead of the curve because I've interviewed a lot of people who were raised reformed or conservative. It's not even on the radar that that would be part of the Jewish experience. So how do you think you came to an awareness that that could be part of your connection to Judaism? Right. So that's a good question. And that was actually one of the things that frustrated me about Judaism growing up is that there wasn't this... I did see it in other religions, this connection, this one-on-one, this personal relationship with God, and it really, it, it hurt me that I didn't experience that in, in my own religion. And that was what caused me to sort of look out a little bit. Somebody very close to me in my family actually converted out of Judaism, and uh, it was somebody that I look, that I, I still look up to a lot, uh, a big role model for me. And um, it really stirred things inside of me. And and also my kids, I I believe, are the last Jews because of intermarriage are the last Jews on both sides of the family. So that caused me to really think like, okay, if I'm going to raise them Jewish, what does that mean? And how do I do it in a way that is maybe a little different than what I experienced growing up, which didn't push me away from Judaism, but I just felt in my soul that something was missing. I just didn't know what it was yet. If we think about the teen years when you're starting to have more of these one-on-one conversations with Hashem, so that's the time when you're thinking college and career. So where did you end up going and did you pursue something in writing, given you said that was something you had a passion for? So I went to University of Florida for undergrad and I majored in business administration and advanced writing. So I knew I wanted to do something in writing and then I got a job with a statewide business magazine right out of college and then I went to graduate school and got a master's in journalism and was always, you know, writing and some, I worked for, uh, as an editor for the Jewish press in the Tampa Bay area. So I started documenting my journey basically. And I actually received a national journalism award while writing for the, the Tampa Bay times for, for my column there. Okay. And then I was also, as I was researching your background, I saw this desire to dig deeper into Judaism as you're kind of leaving the college years. And I came across this story about you contacting your childhood rabbi to kind of inquire about ways that you could dig deeper. Does that sound familiar to you? Yeah. So I loved my rabbi growing up and I did go to him and I said, I feel like something, this was at a reform temple. And I said, I feel like something's missing. I want to do more. I just don't know what it is. So he suggested I go to rabbinical school and I got the application, but I ended up, you know, starting a family and it just didn't happen. And I took a different route, obviously. I took a Torah class with him and with some other people. And it, and so I sort of started to learn. But it wasn't until uh, I went to, I'll, I'll tell, this is one of my favorite stories. So I started, I think, originally with a JLI class. If you're familiar with JLI, with Chabad sure. gives these classes. So I was covering something when I was working for the Jewish press, and I interviewed this Chabad rabbi in his office, and he had all of these holy books behind him. And the class itself, I think it was called Soul Power. I can't remember the exact name of the class, but um, it was really it really stirred something within me. And then a little while later, we were looking for, my husband and I were looking for a place to go for 
high holiday services and we weren't members anymore of a temple and so we ended up going to a Chabad rabbi, Rabbi Rivkin uh, and we walked in and it was just, I, I really wanted some place where my kids were going to feel comfortable. I had two toddlers at the time and the, the synagogue, the temples that I'd been in before, you couldn't really, they weren't so kid friendly. That was just my experience. And um, that was a turning point. You have this conversation with a reform rabbi who's talking about becoming a rabbi yourself. But then you're also sometime later walking into a Chabad situation, which is like a Orthodox setting, are you even aware that, well, those are, these are two like totally different things. Like if I had gone down that reform rabbi path, this would not have meshed with what I'm experiencing here at Chabad. Right. So great question. It's almost hard for me to put myself back in that, in those shoes of like not knowing because now it's been, you know, 15 years, which isn't, you know, it's a pretty good amount of time. But when I called this rabbi, I had no idea what to expect. I'm a woman. Where am I going to sit? What do I wear? I was, didn't want to feel uncomfortable. Like, what do I do when I get in there? And he said, just come, just come. Well, you know, it'll be fine. And he was right. I was, it wasn't what I had expected Orthodox Judaism. I don't know what I was picturing because I hadn't been exposed to Orthodox Judaism before. It was definitely a different path than becoming a reform rabbi. <laughs> For sure. And then you also mentioned having two young kids and your husband. So just, just bring him into the story. What was your husband's religious background? How did you meet And then we can sort of take that into how the two of you start to go deeper into Judaism. So my husband and I actually grew up around the block from each other in Seminole. And our families have known each other for like 40, 50 years, originally from Detroit. And our moms tried to set us up. And I I met (laughs) him actually two weeks after, like he had called me for the first time. His father passed away in his, he was in his mid fifties at the time. It's very sad. And I knew I had had his father as a teacher. He was a math and computers teacher in our middle school. And uh, so I went to the Shiva with my family and that's where I met my husband. I was in my early twenties. I just graduated from college. So he and I had shared the same background. We both went to a place called Beth Chai, which was later torn down, but we both went to like, you know, the same childhood synagogue. And we're raised pretty much, you know, with the same amount of Yiddishkeit. And so then fast forward, we got married in 2000 and I was searching. He, he wasn't really so much searching. It was my idea, you know, to go to Chabad. So up to that point, we were the same. But that was when things sort of changed. All right. So let's go into that now. Like you said, he wasn't quite searching the same way you were. Did you even have any inkling that when you go into like a Chabad for the first time or take one of the classes that it could be the beginning of some kind of like whole journey? Or were you just trying to find like a good service and a good class and you didn't even realize this could be the beginning of something? Yeah, I was just trying to like, I wanted something that felt good. I'm a very like feeling emotional type person. And um, I wanted like an experience that, you know, was spiritual, but I wasn't necessarily looking for like a, I don't know exactly what I was looking for. I would say I, I figured I'd, I would know when I found it. But we went to, I was at a coffee shop covering an article for the local paper and the, uh, a different Chabad rabbi in Rebbitson walked in. So this was after the JLI class, after we had gone to high holiday services. And this was my first time seeing a man wear a yarmulke, a kippah outside of like the throw, you know, at, at Temple, they give you like the, the freebie white keep, you know, throwaway kippahs or whatever. And he had a beard and he was with his wife who's wearing, you know, just dressed really beautifully. And I was really in awe and got to talking to them and they invited us for a Shabbat dinner. And that was my first ever Shabbat experience. 
and it was magical. The meal itself was just, it was delicious. And the conversation, and there's a, a whole wall of bookshelves and there's a, you know, a big, beautiful picture of the Lubavitcher Rubby hanging up behind him. And, uh, I went home and I told my husband, like, this is it. This is how we're going to live. Like starting now. What'd your husband say? Essentially, he said, no, <laughs> we're <laughs> <Right>. not. <laughs> what we're doing is, you know, fine. Everyone has a different personality. And honestly, in hindsight, like all changes should be done gradually and with thought and with support. So between me, like really pushing and his sort of pulling back and trying to be very careful, it actually, Baruch Hashem, worked out quite well. Wait, wait, when you say that, you know, you came from that Shabbos meal and you're like, this is it, this is the path. And he's like, I don't think so. What were some of the early things you did to start adopting some of the things you were learning? Okay, so the first, the next day was Saturday, which was now Shabbos. Uh-huh. And we went to the library with our kids. We got there and I said, this isn't right. We can't be there. Like the lights seemed really bright and it just felt really uncomfortable. And I said, we need to go home. This isn't right. We shouldn't be here. And so we did. We got our books or whatever. I don't remember exactly. We went home. And the next week, we bought a challah from like the grocery store. Publix was the grocery store by us. And we got, I got grape juice and we found somehow I got him like the prayers. These are the prayers you're supposed to say on Friday night. And I made chicken soup, I think that first week. Oh, and my brother had given me a box of Shabbat candles like years before. It had dust on top. It had been kept in a drawer. I had never even opened it. So I pulled out this box of Shabbat candles and I lit them. So that was, that was it. And how old are your kids at this point? Like, are they still in like preschool or where are they? My oldest two were in preschool at the time. Like they were maybe one and two years old at the time. They're only a year and a half apart. But are you living somewhere that has access to like a community, like the whole infrastructure of what you'd need if you want to go further down this path? We were not. We were living in the Tampa Bay area, which didn't have the infrastructure at the time. They had lots of amazing Chabad. They still have lots of amazing Chabad rabbis and Robinsons. But they didn't at the time have infrastructure. And so we were told that usually if families do become somewhat more religious, that they would move somewhere else. Okay. So was that part of the conversation you're now having with your husband? Like, we can only take this so far if we're going to stay where we're living? Not yet. I think pretty soon after that, I sent my kids to Chabad preschool. So it was fine, like through preschool. And then we sent our oldest to a Jewish kindergarten there, but then it closed down. So that's when we moved out for the first time from the Tampa Bay area. Where did you go? The first time we moved was to Potomac, Maryland. I got a job there uh, working for the American Hospital Association, and um, my husband transferred his job there. You moved into like an Orthodox Jewish community there that would have everything we, you need? Right. So that we moved into Potomac, which has, you know, Chabad and various shuls and schools and we tried that for a year, but it was it was very hard. We didn't have any friends or family there. It was very, very expensive. I think it's like one of the most expensive places you can live. And we needed more support than we were getting. We went for a year and then we came back to Florida. So how are you at this point? How are you learning what you need to do? Like, I like how you said, I went and I got a challah and I got grape juice. Like, you might know some of the basics, but at some point you want someone to like really show you what right. you need to do. It was like in the early days of Googling stuff or looking stuff up online. 
And so I just started like Googling, how do you be Jewish or something Uh like that? And I actually found an organization called URA. So they have something called a Torah Mates program. They're based in Lakewood, but they have a lot of different amazing programs. So one of them is Torah Mates where they match you up with a Chavrusa. So I got matched up right pretty quickly with a Chavrusa that lived in South Florida. And so she and I started talking every week and learning just the beginning from the, you know, just the basics. And uh, then I also had Chabad Rebetzins near me and I would go spend time there and just watch everything that they did, every detail, and just learn from them. But at the same time, you moved back to where you were and you, you said previously that the advice you're usually given is if you want to go a little bit more like all in on Orthodox Judaism, you're going to have to move to a community at some point. So are you again yeah. revisiting the idea of moving a second time? We were trying to continue to grow, and our entire family was in the Tampa Bay area, and we had young children. So, you know, having family around you at the time was also important. So we were balancing, like, wanting to have a Jewish infrastructure with being where we, you know, in a place that's very beautiful, very comfortable to live, affordable. Our family was there. Um, But, yeah, we started to grow some more, and uh, then we moved to Atlanta, to Toco Hills, and we lived there for five years. We ended up sending our kids to uh, a Jewish day school in Atlanta. My husband transferred his job there, same job. Um, He can do it pretty much anywhere. So yeah, we ended up living in Atlanta in a a very religious community (laughs) uh, for five years. Okay. And how did your family back home feel as you and your husband are becoming more religious? Are they happy the way you're growing, but at the same time, it's sort of pulling you away from that area of the country. So what kind of reaction are you getting from the two families? So I, in the beginning, was very zealous and also judgmental. And I felt like I had discovered something so amazing that had kind of been withheld from me. And I didn't understand why it had been withheld from me. So I was a little resentful about that. Not saying that that, you know, was necessarily right. And uh, so I, I was judgmental. Like, you know, if you're Jewish, like you have to observe Shabbat. And I couldn't, I wouldn't eat at their house anymore. But like, I made a big deal about it. And that didn't help the relationship. So they felt like I was rejecting the Judaism that they had given me, the Judaism that they knew. Um, And they also hadn't been exposed to religious community yet. Like at this point now we've been, we we would travel to other communities and we, and I'm a journalist. So I was also trying to like learn and write about what I was experiencing. Um, So they weren't happy. They were not happy about it. That was very challenging. So were you able to patch it up after kind of this rocky road you had with them at that point? We were, yeah. And they also started to see, Baruch Hashem, we ended up having two more, you know, we have four children now. And our children, we now have teenagers. And so over time, you know, they see, okay, she's not giving up on this. This isn't just like a phase. Like, this is like now who we are. This is our family. This is who we are. This is what we do. So we are now living in Israel. We made Aliyah just two weeks ago. Wow. So that created like another that was like sort of like digging up the wound, the original wound of becoming religious. It's very hard for them. So again, now it's not even just that like we've created a distance through religion, but now there's also like this tremendous physical distance. And Baruch Hashem, we're like beyond thrilled and in awe that I'm even here. Like it's, it's unbelievable. But that's one aspect of uh, one of the challenges of making Aliyah. And before you even made that move, is Atlanta where you really found your footing in terms of you have the, your kids in the Jewish schools, eating kosher, 
keeping Shabbos? Like, are you checking all the boxes at that point and finding like what level you're going to be and your husband's now on board with everything? Right. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, We were all in and people would say like they would never suspect that like we hadn't grown up that way. In the beginning, I felt like I was playing a part that I was trying so hard to fit in, to do the right things, to wear the right things, say that, you know, I tried to pretend like I knew more than I did. And in hindsight, I would tell, you know, my younger self, just be you, you know, be real. And I eventually learned to like integrate my real self into this new like religious self. But it was still a little bit of an act, I think, when we were living there. I really wanted to just do the right thing, (laughs) whatever that was. You brought up Israel. So how did your kids feel about the move? Like you said, it was like your dream. Were your kids having the same dream? Or how did you get them on board with this idea? I first filled out the application for Aliyah in 2012 uh, when we were living in Atlanta. A lot of so people. 10 years ago. It. Yeah. It just wasn't the right time for various reasons. And then my son, my teenage son, went to a program called Na'ale. Uh, so he went to high school in Israel last year. He was sort of our scout and our pioneer. And he went to high school when he was 15 years old. We sent him away, and it was the most difficult thing, one of the most difficult things I've ever had to do. So he was in high school here in Israel, and we were still in the United States for his first year. How did it come to this point of he's going to be the sort of the pilot program of going to Israel? Well, the program that he's in, is an, it, it's an international program, so it's kids from all over the world whose parents don't live in Israel um, it's a boarding school. So he wasn't alone in that way. And they it was set up really and gave him a lot of support. He learned the language. He did all, like 20 hours a week of Olpan as part of his school. There was a point where it was so difficult. It was during the pandemic. And it was so painful for me as a mom to have him away and to not be able to visit him. But we left him there and he ended up thriving and uh, just did amazing. And he learned Hebrew and traveled all over the country and spent Shabbos and holidays with people we didn't even know. And um, and so then it came time to decide what he's going to do for the next year. And um, I couldn't bring him home. It didn't make, well, home at that point was Miami. I couldn't bring him back. Um, and I also couldn't let him be in Israel and us not be there. So I just started refilling the application out. It was clo- it had already been 10 years, so I had to start over again. And that was in May of this year. And I was sitting in front of the computer and I pulled up this video of Israel, and it was a very, like, you know, pull at your heartstrings type video. It was really well done, beautiful. And I was crying, and my husband and my kids were sitting there with me, and we just knew, like, that's it. This is what we have to do. And then it was mountains and mountains of paperwork and so much work to actually make it happen. But we did it. It's really fascinating to me that you're doing the interview from Israel, And I'm going back to that moment you're debating with your husband, should we bring our son home? And that could have gone either way. If you bring him home, you're not talking to me from Israel right now. Yeah, that's why I think it was such a a powerful moment. And also, it's probably the moment where I um, had such a clear message from Hashem. If if I can even, I feel like a little bit gutsy, like even saying something like that. But um, it's not always so clear. And at that moment, I can still feel it. Yeah, that was definitely a moment that changed everything for us. Okay, and so now let's switch gears just a little bit, because I mentioned in the intro that through your love of writing, you started a magazine. So can you tell our listeners a little bit about that? 
Okay, sure. Nishay Ora. Nishay means women of. I, I don't really know the Hebrew that well. I'm learning. Um, but And then Ora means light. So the idea of it is women of light. So we're all women of, uh, Jewish women of different backgrounds. Some of us uh, are, you know, new to Judaism or maybe grew up Jewish, but did like, you know, like me, but, you know, got more into it later in life. So we all come together. There's Vizhnitz, modern Orthodox. There's no, the labels don't matter. Like, you know, women, for the most part, we have parenting struggles and marriage, things we go through in marriage. We do a lot of art. We feature a lot of female Jewish artists, some just really phenomenal art. That's like some of my favorite part of it is finding these women who express themselves through art. We started in Atlanta when I was homeschooled. I homeschooled my daughter for a little while, and then uh, we just decided to start this magazine together. And uh, Baruch Hashem, it's, uh, it's online, and it's a printed publication, and I love it. It's a labor of love. It's a nonprofit. I'm a volunteer. We're all volunteers. And what and kind of reaction have you gotten from your readership? Women really love it. It's printed, so it's something that women can read on Shabbos and, and the holidays, and Part of what I do is like help women, even if they're not professional writers or they've never written before, writing is a challenge for them. I work with them and I help them share, you know, or express themselves in a heartfelt way. And sometimes it's not always easy for them to do that, you know, right in the beginning. So we'll go back and forth and it's always a process. But and then they learn it, the writing itself is a beautiful therapeutic process. And then reading each other's articles, women realize they're not alone. And that's, that's very powerful to connect in that way. I like how you said that it's printed so people can read it on Shabbos. Like my secular friends always tell me like, how can any magazine survive anymore? Who actually reads a magazine? I'm like, you don't understand Shabbos. There are all these Jewish magazines that thrive because of the fact that people can't be online. Yeah, exactly. The whole time people have been saying, why, you know, secular, why are you still printing it? And it is, it's gotten very expensive. There's actually been, there was a paper shortage. So uh, it's a real thing. Like printing is not simple, but that's what makes it special. Not all of our audiences, even Shomer Shabbos, of course, like we, you know, the articles can, uh, can be appreciated by Jewish women of all backgrounds. So I want to go back to this idea that it was 10 years in the making for you to move to Israel. Because one of the things that has come out in your story is how much you were moving within the United States. Like you brought up Maryland, Atlanta, and back and forth to Florida. Do you feel like part of the issue was you were never finding home there because the ultimate answer is where you just moved two weeks ago? Like, why do you think you never found a place that you called more permanent in the United States? This is a big question for me, and it's actually a little bit of a, a painful subject. People have judged us, um, sometimes openly and sometimes, you know, sometimes not. And I think I, we, I judged myself also, you know, is this good for the kids to move them around, you know, so much. So that's been something that I've thought about a lot. Actually, I didn't even mention all the places that we've lived. We also lived in Richmond, Virginia and Norfolk, Virginia, two very small but amazing communities. So on one hand, we got to experience all different types of like, you know, Jewish communities and we really learned. And as a journalist, it was amazing. Like I, I really got to see and experience a lot. And same thing for my kids to be in different schools. There's definitely pro, you know, there are some benefits to experiencing different places but there was always that feeling of not feeling like I was at home I mean mean, we just got here two weeks ago and still every day like every moment it's just I'm looking around in awe like how can I really be here how can I really be here it's like I'm, I'm looking out my window right now at the clouds and at the trees and it's like how am I in Israel this isn't real for the first time I I was home and as long as my soul is here in my body on earth. This is where I have to be. 
And then I know before we did the interview, you mentioned that you hope the Wi-Fi is good because you're up in the mountains and the Wi-Fi has actually been great. But give us a sense of how you picked specifically where you wanted to be within Israel. So that took a lot of research. I interviewed a lot of people. We knew we wanted to be sort of in the north. The center, like Jerusalem and Tel Aviv, are much busier and more populated. But in the north, it's uh, a little bit different. I knew I wanted to be in the north always, even when I was researching, you know, 10 years ago, I just always imagined being in the north. And so we looked at different places and researched. And I, there was one Sunday right before we, we had to um, tell Nefesh Benefesh our address. And we had a, different, a few different options. And it was very hard to make a decision. And I just cried to Hashem and said, please be my eyes. I, I can't possibly know. You know, as a human being, I can't possibly know the right thing to do. Please help us. There wasn't such a clear message at that point, but we just made the decision and here we are. Okay, so what town is it? Oh, it's called Kiryat Tivon. Uh, it's about 20 minutes outside of Haifa. Uh, Haifa is the third largest city in Israel. And it's maybe an hour away from Spot and 45 minutes from the Tiberias, the Canaret. And so you made this 10-year goal happen that you got to Israel. So what's, what's the new 10-year plan? What do you hope to do now that you're, you're settling down there? So right now I'm taking it one day at a time and trying to <laughs> adapt and adjust and get my kids in school and, and learn Hebrew. So I guess I could say that my 10-year goal at this point is to be fluent in Hebrew, God willing, and to continue to educate my children and to continue to learn Torah, continue meeting people here. The people in Israel are as diverse as the topography. I read somewhere that like every landform that exists throughout the world exists in Israel. And even just where we are, it's just, it's literally breathtaking. Like my husband said, because we were driving today and I was talking and then just stopped and said, wow. And he said, I hope we never lose that wow factor. But the people too, you see, it's so incredibly diverse and amazing. And, uh, and I love it. Yeah, my family was just there for two weeks. And I was saying to my wife that it's just so nice to feel like the majority, like to look around and see like tons of kippahs and tons of Hebrew and the, and the signs are in Hebrew. And like, you don't feel that anywhere else. You always feel like you're the minority. Right. I guess I, I lived in Miami, so I got used to it a little bit of a denser Jewish population. But where you're right, where I grew up seeing, like when my, my son first started to wear his kippah back when we were still living in the Tampa Bay area, people would stop and look and, you know, it was a big deal then. So living in the Jewish homeland is just an unbelievable experience. All right. So before we close out the interview, we'd like to do something called the lightning round. I have a few fast questions to ask you. Are you ready? Okay, sure. Okay, so I mentioned in the introduction that you've written for a lot of Jewish publications. What's a Jewish topic you haven't had a chance to write about that you hope to someday? Uh, first generation FFBs. So my husband and I are, are what's called Bali Chuva, so our kids are first generation FFBs from, from birth. Um, not all of them are, first, are older, too. I guess are technically not. But... Um, it's a different dynamic for these kids. And I, I want to learn, like learn from them what works, what doesn't work. And every family is different. Every family is a different dynamic, but that's something that I'd love to work on. Got it. And so you write about a lot of Jewish topics. Who's somebody else who writes in that area that you really admire? That's a good question. Uh, I think it's called Jew in the City. Uh -huh. I'm sure, sure you're familiar with it. So um, I just read one of her articles recently that, uh, that was really powerful. So I, I guess I would say... I would say her, Allison, I think is her name. Allison Joseph. Yes, right. Okay. And last question, as someone who made the dream happen and you've moved to Israel, what's the best advice you'd give to someone who's in the United States or England or somewhere else and they're thinking, maybe mm -hmm. I should make the move? 
So there was, I got a message from somebody right after she learned that I was about to make Aliyah and she said, wow, you're very brave. And I hear that a lot. So I wanted to know which aspect of this do you consider brave? And I really wanted to know because everyone has sort of their different, a different thing that they're afraid of. And she said financial. In the United States, you can kind of get away with some things of not being so like careful and different things. But like, at least for me, I find that like the results are immediate. Like if, if Hashem gives me like a little blessing of something and I'm not, and I don't like express my gratitude for it, like it's, it'll be gone the next uh-huh. second. Like things happen very fast and very intensely here, which is amazing. Like it's very real. So I think it's causing me to really grow and be very careful about what I do and say and and I'm still very new here, so I, I may listen back on this in, in a couple years and, and cringe, but this is where I'm at right now. Baruch Hashem. Good closing advice for our listeners. So, Mindy, you're out of the lightning round, and I want to thank you for joining me today on Saturday to Shabbos. Okay, thank you so much. Saturday to Shabbos is produced by Gary Wallach. Our theme music is by Paul Uden. To learn more about us, please visit tachlismedia.com. That's T-A-C-H-L-I-S-Media.com. Tell us what you think about what you've heard, or suggest a story we should know about by emailing Shabbos at tachlismedia.com. I'm Jeff Cohen. Thanks for listening. Please check with us often for more stories of inspiring Jewish journeys. Saturday to Shabbos is a Tachlis Media podcast.